Um, I don't know how many people here are on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Put your hand up if you're any form of social networking at all. Nice line. Okay, put your hand up if you're not in any way connected on social, social media. Yash and Colin. Okay. Right. Um, I want to say, sometimes, sometimes during a talk, this isn't to diss anyone who's not or diss anyone who is. Um, I want to say, sometimes during a sermon, it's, it's, I don't know if you're like you, but I sometimes don't always concentrate. Is anyone else guilty of that? You're, I'm not, don't tuck me. I'm not, you know, <laughs> only, when, only when Richard speaks. It's fine. Um, but lots of, us, lots of us find it hard to concentrate, don't we? And I don't know if, you, if you're like me, that you go away from someone's talk the following week, and if someone were to say to you, what did they talk about? Sometimes you go, well, I might remember because I know the sermon series, and that will give me a let out. But sometimes we forget, don't we? Is that, is that true? Don't, don't all say, no, we always remember. It's just me. I know that we all find that difficult sometimes. And all I want to do tonight is I want to try something a little bit different. So I want to encourage you, if you've got a phone, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram or, I don't know, anything else I've forgotten, um, I'd love you to use that in any way you can to help you remember and engage with what I'm going to talk about. Because actually what I'm going to talk about is from a passage, don't take a photo of me right now. <laughs> now I feel self-conscious, my hair's not done. How am I supposed to, anyway? But I want you to encourage you to do that because I think it's really important that we, we think about how we engage with what people say from the front. I think it's really important that we learn how to engage what the Bible says. Tonight we're looking at James. I don't know if you've ever read the book of James. It's, it's, it's the Ron seal of the Bible. It does what it says on the tin. It just does, it, it's just really easy to understand, but really hard to do. It's really easy to understand. Um, so we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, do turn there. If you haven't and you're using your phone, find one. If you need a book, then do grab a Bible at the back. Um, and we're going to read that together uh, now. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the noise and, and encourage us to, to do that. So I would really want to encourage you to engage. If, if, it's, if it's photographing something, if it's, if it's tweeting something, if it's Facebooking something, if it's sending a message to remind yourself about something that I've said that really strikes you, you think God is in it, then can I encourage you to do that? Is that okay? I thought that would be a good idea tonight to try something. But let's look at James. Let's turn to the scriptures tonight uh, and ask God to speak. This is James chapter 1, uh, verses 22 to 27. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it is like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are just fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. Father, take your word, I pray, and write it on our hearts. Father, I pray we would be doers of the word. We'd be people of action who put what you say into practice. In Jesus' name, and for his glory, amen. 
Amen. So many of us were involved in the noise yesterday. Um, hands up again if you were at a project involved in decorating or clearing or gardening. Okay. Well, I'd really love, and kind of fairly spontaneous thing is, I'd love to hear a few stories from yesterday. So just some people who are willing just to come up now, 30 seconds, tell us a little bit about the project you were doing. And some photos going to appear of some of the projects on the screen. Photo, um, stories of what you were doing and what kind of difference you felt that made. Any volunteers for that, Rich? Can I have the other microphone? Is that Okay. Just come on out right now if you're on a project and we're able to just tell me a quick story. Abby, thank you. Former an orderly queue uh, along this side behind Abby. I'd love to hear three or four stories. Abby, tell us what project you were at um, and what were you doing yesterday? Um, so we went to a lady called Anne's house and we were doing a little gardening project uh, with myself and some of the young people here. And um, we invited her to come along afterwards back here where we had a bit of a barbecue and some games out and stuff. And um, she was so happy to be invited um, and came along. Everyone sort of feels like they're not feeling like they're listening to that. That's right. You just keep talking. They're listening to you, I promise. Um, So Anne came back here with us and had the most amazing time. I took her back home again after. It's about a 10-minute journey. She did not stop telling me all the way home how much she loved it here and was telling me how great all my friends here were. And then she stopped herself and said, oh, wait, they're my friends too now. Um, She said that she wanted to come on the Alpha course. She wants to come back. She can't wait to get involved here. And she was telling me all the way about how she, she loved her church now. So I thought that was some great encouragement for us. Fantastic. Thanks, Abby. That's great. Great. Guy, you're beckoning someone. So uh, I was just going to ask Jasmine to come over here because this is a little bit of her story. So last year, we went to Mrs. Lloyd, and this year, Jasmine went to Mrs. Lloyd. And um, last year, there was a jungle in Mrs. Lloyd, and uh, we sort of began the project, but then you completed it. But Mrs. Lloyd was really enthusiastic about what we were doing. She was, and um, she she was in quite a bad space before we came as well. So having us there and clearing her garden, it just lifted, you know, her mood in general. Mm. Um, and she was also questioning her religious belief mm. and how she was feeling about her own church. So we invited her over. She came to the barbecue, and she um, she thoroughly enjoyed it. We were one of the last to go because she just kept on talking about how it was nice of us to do what we did and how the atmosphere here and how she's going to really make an effort to come um, and about what she was going through and how she felt that particular day or well, yesterday. Um, and it was just beautiful to see somebody that we had really kind of affected, really affected to the point where, you know, at one point she was in tears saying so she couldn't believe people that would, you know, that don't know her would do something like that for her. So um, I do thank God, you know, for kind of giving us the opportunity to actually share how we feel with somebody else, and that's just to spread love. It's beautiful. Amazing. Jasmine, thank you. And I know Jasmine yesterday, she's going to kill me for saying this, it was her birthday yesterday, gave her a whole day with her family to come and do a project. So thank you, Jasmine, for what you did. Leave her a round of applause, I think. That's amazing. Anyone else? Phil. Phil, tell us, which project were you at, Phil? We were um, at a house in Southall. I think it was 11 Bailey's, Bailey's Close, I think. Yeah. What um, was the project you were doing there, Phil? We were, paint, we were painting. Okay. And across the road there was... We, were, we had two groups there, actually, mm. and um, we were doing the back garden painting, and it was... There, a picture of... Uh, is that your team? Yeah, that, that is the team there. Aaron Laura... Bleh. I can't say his name, probably. Lola. Lola. <laughs> he was there. And it was just amazing, just painting. Um, it was very, 
the community was the um, people in the house were very they wanted to help in the end mm. which was really really good and we just lo- I just loved it to pieces great was there quite a difference from the start to the end what was the difference that made, was made in well, that project Phil? sadly I wasn't able to be there all the time but uh, we, they were there I think till 5.30 mm. and I think they really really enjoyed it and I could see the expression when I left there was a young boy and actually it really does make me feel you know he was one of the kids from you know this house this person's house and he just said to me are you already leaving yet now and they carried on and I just had to explain why but it was just I could see how this young boy loved the us being there and they really appreciated it, which was absolutely great. Fantastic. Thanks, Phil. That's brilliant. Thank you. John. John, tell us where were you doing so, the project? We're also, we were also in a house in Southall, um, clearing the back garden and the front garden. Um, moved a little bit of furniture as well, but the thing about these two gardens were they were absolutely covered in, in litter and you know, all sorts of things. And it, at first it wasn't clear where this litter had come from, whether it was just neighbours or residents or the person that had lived there before or whether it was the, the room that occupied it. And it sort of became evident that it was maybe something to do with this person's state of mind or, you know, she didn't really say very much to us, so it was quite hard to get the story out of, us, but, out of her, but um, it just, you know, seemed that that was the case. The house was very, very dark, curtains were pulled, it was, you know, it was really warm in there, and, um, but we took, what we did was we took the, the back garden, in fact there was a photo of it, but you wouldn't have recognised it, um, basically flattened it with a strimmer and took out all of the with the litter and, and that sort of thing. And she wasn't saying much, but I could tell that she was mm. quite grateful for that because suddenly you had all this space to play with. And then the front garden, they were, and this took most of the day, um, these kind of three or four huge kind of shrubs that she wanted pulling up, basically, mm. um, and leveled the ground out of that, and we did that. Um, and I think I sort of came away really grateful myself for kind of the things that, you know, for everything that we have, the sense of community we have. It's absolutely inspiring to watch your, just watch your mates pull together and, and mm. do all of that with you as well. And that was, that was amazing. Brilliant. Thanks, John. That's great. Thanks, John. I think the thing about James and the passage we've read is, is that we're to be doers of the word. We're to put the word in practice. We're going to focus in on a couple of verses in that passage in a little while. But basically, what we're saying is, is, that, is that what God's looking for are people of action. People who don't just talk about faith, don't just kind of speak a good, talk a good game, you know, who aren't armchair fans, if you like, to kind of football phrase, but are people who get stuck in, who are willing to get their hands literally dirty. I was with some of the guys here who were down at um, uh, Murray Road in, in South Eden. We were clearing a house there and... Uh, uh, it was incredible to see what was on the side when we arrived. They'd emptied a shed that was an old uh, World War II bomb shelter. Uh, it literally li- felt like everything had, had exploded in South London and West London had been put in this shed. And when it came out, they found, this is this empty shed, they found a motorbike underneath the stuff that they cleared out. It was incredible. Uh, I think there's a photo of the motorbike about to appear uh, with the guys on it. We'll let it run through. There it is. <laughs> But these guys did an amazing job. I want, I, want to really, I want to really big them up, as much as they look like they're mucking around there. Um, that is a World War II gas mask that Nat's got on his face there. 
but um, just to say that they did an amazing job in clearing out. I, I've never seen a bunch of, of people so enthusiastic about putting rubbish into, a back, into the back of a van. It was incredible. And, and person after person, uh, team after team that I spoke to yesterday, in putting faith into practice, even if it's just as simple as decorating a wall, painting a wall, or, or clearing a garden, or cutting a hedge down, or whatever it might be, actually, it's part of putting our faith into practice. It's part of doing what God calls us to do. And actually, I think for many of us, we found that our faith came alive in doing that. Now, we might not have been able to make yesterday, but we might be people who put our faith into practice. And that's what it's about. James does not hold back in this passage. If you claim to be religious, he says in verse 26, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. The, the tone there is about worship. He's saying that if you just have an hour display of worship, if you say all the right things, if you do, if you kind of talk a good talk, but don't put it into practice, it's not, it's not faith as God understands it. He goes even further later in James chapter 2 where he says, faith without works is dead. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? That's, quite a, that, that's to the point. We don't need to read the Greek, an original language, to understand what James is saying. Do it or it doesn't count. Faith that counts is faith in action and faith that serves the poor, the marginalized, the broken, the lost, those on the edge, those who are lonely. That's what faith is. Um, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then our actions need to match our words, and our lives should be characterized by caring for those on the margins. And in this case, James talks about them in terms of orphans and widows. Now, for a, a, a mainly Jewish audience that uh, James was writing to, this is one of the earliest books of the, of the New Testament, and he's writing to the Christians that have been scattered after the persecution in Jerusalem. So many of them were Jewish Christians, and, and central to the Jewish laws, we're going to ha- just have a quick run through in a moment, central to the entire Bible story, actually, is caring for orphans, widows, and foreigners, uh, for those who are displaced or dispossessed, those who have nothing, who've lost everything, who were on the margins, who were desperate. It's central to the whole of the the people of Israel. And I'd like to run us through a few Bible verses that make this really clear. We're going to begin in Psalm 68. If you can follow me, that's great. If not, don't worry, I'm going to read them through. Psalm 68, verses 5 to 6. It says this. "Um, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God sets the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Compassion is absolutely central to the heart of God. Compassion is central to the heart of God. And whatever is central to the heart of God, God puts at the heart of his people. We are to be compassionate people. We're to be compassionate people. God's heart is full of compassion. He shows compassion to us. Therefore, we are to be compassionate people towards others. This is central. The heart of God is for those on the margins. The heart of God is for the fatherless, those who seem to have nothing, who seem to have none of the things that we might take for granted. That's where God's heart is, and it's clear throughout Scripture. In the book of Deuteronomy, we find so much about God's heart for the poor. The book of Deuteronomy is, is the fifth book in the Pentateuch, which is the kind of five books of the law. And it almost sums up in a kind of final kind of speech, really, what Moses uh, felt God was saying in in regard to the law, what Moses heard God say. And, And again, central to so much of the law is care for the poor. Don't let anyone tell you 
that the Bible doesn't talk about caring for slaves or orphans or those on the margins. The Bible is full of, if you take out the verses that talk about caring for the poor and the marginalized, your Bible will be so light and so empty. There'll be nothing much to it. The Bible is full of that. Um, Central to the community life of Israel was this command to care for the poor. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 19. Um, the, The Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He's the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and takes no bribes. He gives justice to orphans and widows. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. You too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Central to their community life. And that means two things here. It means we are to show mercy to those in debt to those who are struggling to pay. It's mercy in the courts. It's not to oppress and beat down those who are in in trouble, even if they're in trouble from their own fault. That's not told here. We're to show mercy. The second thing is we're to be generous with our food. We're to be generous with what we harvest, what we take uh, uh, and give for others. One of the things in the Old Testament law is is about how when farmers uh, harvest their fields, they're to leave the sides of the fields um, not harvested. So for those who have no food are able to go and harvest and take food that's there. Not just the leftovers, but parts of the main harvest. God wants us to take responsibility in whatever sphere of life we're in uh, to care for the poor. Central to their business life, if you like. Their agriculture. Central to their uh, legal life. Central to their worship life. Uh, Isaiah tells us this. is care and uh, justice for the poor and the oppressed. We are, uh, if our worship, Isaiah says, and Amos and many others, if our worship does not lead us to bring justice and a freedom for the poor, then God questions the heart of our worship. That's how much uh, it matters to God that we show compassion to those on the margins. It's got to be more than just the singing of songs. It's got to be more than just the singing of songs. It's about justice and mercy. It's about how our lives are shown yesterday. Yesterday in its totality was an act of worship. As we paint a wall, it's an act of worship. As we clear a garden, it's an act of worship. And it's an act of worship that reflects the heart of God. And God's heart is compassion. God's people are to reflect God's heart of compassion. God's people are to reflect God's heart of compassion. We see that through the Bible. We see that in the New Testament. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor. In his manifesto in Luke chapter 4, he came to bring good news to the poor. He came to set the captives free. Not just spiritual captives, but physical captives. He came um, to bring sight to the blind, those who were unable to work or earn a living. He came to bring freedom for them. He fed the hungry. The feeding of the 5,000, I believe, is a physical miracle. That took place. That happened. And one of the things that's so important about it is God saying, I care for the poor and I want to feed the hungry. Jesus demonstrating the heart of God. He included women and sinners. He spent time with those who the rest of society would have nothing to do with. He gave them a role and a purpose and included them. You know, the first, um, Mary, uh, we, we know the story of Mary and Martha. Mary this incredible story of she comes to sit at the feet of Jesus while Martha is in the kitchen cooking. We know that story. It's amazing. Mary is sat at the feet of Jesus. The only people allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi were men and male disciples who had the qualifications, who'd been chosen. That's why Martha was cross because Mary had usurped kind of social standing and sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, what did he say? She's chosen the better thing. Jesus included those who others would marginalize right in his inner circle. That's what he did. That's what he came to do. 
He came to bring justice for the oppressed. And he gave his disciples an an example of how to live, and they followed that. The early church cared for the widows. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, they're caring for different groups of widows. And conflict arises because some are not getting fed and others aren't. And what's the first thing they do as a priority? They make sure that those who are hungry get the food they need. They cared for their practical needs. This is what James is talking about when it says to care for widows and orphans. It literally means at times to care for those who've lost everything in practical ways. You know, the early church um, did amazing things in ending some of the worst injustices that would be seen in the Roman Empire. One of them was something called exposure. Exposure was the act of when a newborn child was unwanted by the head of the house, they would leave the baby outside to die of exposure. It was horrific, horrendous. Hundreds and hundreds of babies, thousands of babies would be killed each year by this, this, this kind of act because they weren't seen as, um, as having any value at all. That is until Jesus came, and that's until the early church saw that in the sight of God, children were so valuable, so important, even though they were marginalized in society. So what happened is Christians took in these babies and cared for them. And in the fourth century, um, a Roman emperor, I think it might have been Constant, uh, Constantine, he outlawed the practice of exposure. It became illegal to do that. And what happened to these babies? Well, then they were left with Christians in cathedrals and monasteries, which became the first orphanages. You know, throughout history, Christians have followed the example of Jesus to care for those on the edge and on the margins. We know many in modern-day history, William Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade. We see it today in the Jubilee 2000 campaign to cancel third world debt, stop the traffic, Who are behind all of these initiatives? Christians. Because they want to obey the command of Jesus. I don't know about you, but you can't turn away from this without being moved and challenged. In one sense, when I was asked to speak tonight on this passage, uh, I looked at it and if I'm really honest, my heart slightly sank. I thought, crumbs... This is where I get to feel a bit like a hypocrite in some ways. And there's so much more I wish I could do. There's so much uh, more that I wish I'd done. But, you know, God just says, just do what you can do each day. And live a life of justice, of mercy, engaging with the poor and the marginalized. Do you know the amazing thing about the Christian faith? Is not only are we saved from our past, and not only are we made right in the present, but we're given a cause to live for for the rest of our lives. What cause is on your heart? What is it that makes you both mad and passionate? What is it that when you watch the news makes you jump up and down and want to change? I bet for all of us in different ways there's something on our hearts that grabs us. And that comes from the heart of God. Because God's heart is for the trafficked women. For children stolen from their parents in other countries and and moved across the world in slavery. Seeing poverty and the damage and the desolation that causes in in, in many parts of the world, uh, that's on the heart of God and it matters to him. So when James says we've got our true religion is is about caring for orphans and widows, he's saying that that, that true faith is, is simply about emulating God's heart and living it out as God would because we are his hands and feet. It's, that's what it's about. That's, it's about emulating his heart. And it's all centered around compassion. So what do we do? How do we do it? I want to tell you three things, uh, three ways that we can do 
uh, we can do what James tells us to do, to care for orphans and widows, uh, to care for those on the margins. The first is this, is we're to create community for the lonely. Um, You know the word care in this passage, to care for orphans and widows in their trouble. The word care means a number of things. It means to visit. It means to be with, as in to kind of spend time with, uh, um, to look after and to defend. There's a number of different meanings. So we're to create community. We're to create community for the lonely. Um, It should matter to us, and I'm sure it does, that people live in isolation. Mother Teresa said that loneliness was the worst disease of the Western world. People living in isolation, disconnected. We're called to make community, to build community. One of the things last night that Abby hinted to, one of the reasons we had a barbecue, was to celebrate all of the marvellous volunteers and their families who were involved in the noise yesterday. But also it was to invite those who are isolated and not connected to come and join a party in a community. And we had a number came, and it was great. It was wonderful last night that when we asked for stories of what God had been doing in the day, the first two people, in fact, the only two people to the front were two people whose houses we'd been working on. They couldn't wait to tell us what God had been doing in their lives. One was a Sikh lady, uh, one was a lady working for St. John's Ambulance, and the difference it had made was amazing. We didn't ask them if we could interview them. We didn't prepare anything. In fact, I wasn't even going to interview one of them um, but she, would, she got to the front so quick, there was nothing I could do. Because God's heart had gone out to her. She'd been included. She'd been connected into community. Don't underestimate the power of community in changing lives. Friends, it is the thing that changes lives. The reason that we at St. Paul's are so passionate about building community, it's in community that we encounter Jesus. It's in community that we connect with others, that we know what it is to love God and love our neighbor. We cannot do it on our own. Anything that's isolated is sick. We've got to get, we, to get healed and to get whole and to get healthy, we need to be in community. You know, that's why life groups are so important. That's why if you're not in a life group, I just would love to say, if you're able to get to a life group, join a life group. Join a community of people who are just seeking to work out what it means to follow Jesus, who are seeking to put this stuff into practice. I know so many of you do, but I want to encourage you to join a life group. And if you're in a life group, I want to encourage you to make this your motto. And I make no apologies because it's mine. Um, And it's this. This is the motto for our life group. um, And it's the motto for anything I'll ever do. Uh, The door is always open and there's always room at the table. The door is always open. There's always room at the table. There is always room for more people in my house. When we meet as a life group, I love it when new people turn up. I love it when people turn up who I'm not expecting. I love it. Because I know how important it is for people to know that people will love them and afford them. And our life group are amazing at doing that. They're just great at bringing new people, welcoming in those we've met and those uh, we've worked with. But I would encourage you, is your door always open? And is there space at your table to include the lonely and the isolated? Who can we do it with tomorrow? It's not just a, a physical attitude, it's an attitude of the heart. Who can we include tomorrow? Who is on the edge? Who is it that we sit near in class who's just isolated and lonely? Who is it? May we be the people who get them alongside and not just draw them alongside us, but draw them into our community. Who are the people in our workplaces who are struggling in their marriages or relationships that we can invite for a coffee, that we can spend time with and include in community? It's those conversations, friends, that change lives. It's those conversations that change lives and they're so important. And finally, one of the most important things about creating community is is, it's in community that we can find faith. And that's why we find Alpha so wonderful. 
I became a Christian on Alpha Course because I was invited into a community that accepted me just the way I was. If I'm honest, I think that was one of the main reasons I came to faith. Because I saw around me people who would listen to my questions, who would just encourage me, and who accepted me the way I was. And we've tried to model that on Alpha. That's what it is. We come and eat together, there's a talk, and there's a chance to ask questions. It's a great place to bring friends. It's a great place to come if you've not done it. If you've got questions about faith, come. If you've not done Alpha, come along. Sign up tonight. I I really want to encourage you because it's a place of community. Time and time again, I've had the privilege of seeing people come to faith in Jesus and who point to the community they did it with that made such a difference. I'd love you to sign up for Alpha tonight. I'd love you to bring people and journey with them as they find faith in Jesus. I believe it will happen. We're really excited about what's happening this term. Okay, really quickly, I want to run through the last two. Firstly, community for the lonely. How can we build community? Number two, feeding the hungry. We have got to do what we can to physically care for the needs of those around us. We've got to do something about physically caring for the needs of those around us. Jesus said, when you do it for the least, you do it for me. Jesus is with the poor. Jesus is with the hungry. When we do it for them, we do it for him. We meet him in that place. That's why the church has been involved in setting up food banks across the nation. St. Paul's is involved in setting up a food bank in Ealing Borough. We can sign up for that and get stuck in there. A way of helping feed the hungry. You know, 369,000 people last year had to get emergency food from food banks across our nation. Poverty is not just a thing abroad. It happens in our cities, in our schools, in our places. We need to make a difference there. Um, we're hosting the Winter Night Shelter here in December for three nights for, for guys and, and men and women who are unable to find housing, many of whom struggle to uh, care for themselves, and we're, we're going to host it over across in the hall in December. We can feed the hungry. We can make a difference for those people, and it does make a difference. We can sign up for that. The soup kitchen every weekend, serving food for those in need. We can do it in small ways. We can do it by buying food for those we walk past on the tube. Uh, who are begging for money. We can do it for uh, just our friends. We can do it for those we know in need. Because, you know, the vision for the people of God is there be no poverty. That's why there was the campaign Make Poverty History. Because it's not on the heart of God. God wants to care for the poor and see them provided for. Why don't we get stuck in and feed the hungry? Finally, I come back to the question I asked earlier. What cause is on our hearts? Part of um, doing what James tells us to do is that we defend the orphan and we fight for the rights of widows. Um, a friend of mine spoke at the men's breakfast a few weeks ago and he talked, gave us a, a really helpful picture. Is that the church is really great at rescuing those who've fallen into the river, who are drowning, who are struggling. We pull them out and we get them sorted. So those who are struggling with, with, with poverty, unable to provide for themselves or needing work or whatever it might be. And he said to me, he said, it'd be really great if, if a few more Christians went to the head of the river and stopped people getting thrown in. I've never forgotten that image. It is absolutely written on my heart. We need people like you and me who are going to go and campaign, who are going to make a noise, who are not going to let um, you know, injustices go unspoken about. We need Christians campaigning in politics for justice for the poor and the marginalised. We need more Christians to take up the cause of child slavery. Are some of these things starting to grab our hearts. 
because I think that's the Lord. We need Christian teachers who will care for the bullied and the bully. We need Christian social workers who will provide hope for families in need and in crisis. We need Christian leaders in business who will promote ethical trading and fair wages. We need Christians in every area of society to just go, we're not going to let people get thrown in the river anymore. We're going to stand for justice. We're going to stand for caring for those on the margins. We need people to catch the heart of God for those on the margins. We need Christians with a fire in their bellies to see this happen. What God is saying is he needs you and I to be full of his spirit, full of his fire, with a cause to live for, to give our lives for, to see this nation changed. And it starts with the small things. It starts painting the wall, clearing the garden. But we need God's heart to do that. How do we do it? We, we create community for the lonely. We feed the hungry. And we defend the orphan and the widow. We fight for a cause. And we give ourselves to it. I want to encourage us to be belligerent, to make a noise, to get in people's faces, to use social media to really make a difference. I want to encourage us to be a nuisance if it means that we stop injustice. Because I think that's on God's heart. His heart of compassion for the least. It needs to be our heart of compassion. True religion that pleases God is religion that puts caring for the poor and the marginalized at its center. We are to be doers of the word. Before we finish, has anyone here got a Nike trainer? On. Great. Can I have it? Does it smell? Okay. Uh, If you've got a camera phone, if you're doing the social media thing, I want you to take a photo of me with a trainer. Because we all know what the slogan for Nike is, don't we? Anyone want to tell me? Just do it. Okay. No. (laughs) Unfortunately, you pressed the button at the right time. Okay. In all seriousness, though, I want us to take a photo of it, and I want us to remember, just do it. Put it into practice. Get a cause to live for. Feed the hungry. Create community. Get God's heart of compassion for those on the edge. Just do it. That's what James says time and time again. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what's on God's heart. Thanks, Rich. Should we stand together?